Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Daniel chapter one for this morning's message. Today, uh, we begin a message and begin a series of messages really that I believe are very timely for Crosslink Community Church and frankly for every believer. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I believe these messages are directly for us for a time such as this. Uh, Many of you remember last year as we were going through kind of the shutdowns and everything that we had a 90-day challenge where we were reading through the New Testament. Many of you participated in this challenge. Some of you like knocked out of the park. Some of you are still finishing, but that's okay. You're in God's word, which is awesome. And and so for me, when I finished that 90-day challenge, I kind of was just really seeking the Lord, where, where am I supposed to go next? And so the book of the Bible that God first began to really burden on my heart was the book of Daniel. And so I began to read through the book of Daniel in a very slow, methodical way, really studying in great detail the book of Daniel. And really that study led me through the rest of the prophets of the Old Testament and really just diving in and seeing what was God saying in that moment and how does that apply to us today? Now, I don't know about you, but as we have ended 2020, I think if you could sum up the entirety of all the challenges and complexities of 2020, we could probably sum it up in one word and that would be the word fear. Now, I realize that many of us don't longer admit that we're afraid. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of that. But the fact is, when we consider all the details of the coronavirus, for many of us this past year, it has caused a sense of fear. Who's a carrier of it? How do we get it? Will there be a vaccine? Will the vaccine work? Will the vaccine have other ramifications in our life? How does this affect us financially? We've had a fear about our provision. What does this do to our jobs? And what does this do to our retirement funds? It's for all those kinds of fears. Then when you put that at the backdrop of all that's happened politically in our nation in the past year, we look at this party, we look at this party, we look at this agenda and this direction, we look at this deceit and this manipulation, and we look at all of this mess, and it's brought us to a place of chaos and uncertainty and fear. But I want to remind all of us this morning, if you are a child of God, you don't have to walk and live in fear. God has called us instead to live by faith. And when we live by faith, we do not have to be overcome by fear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I love the way that David said it in Psalm 34. Here's what he said. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. You wanna walk by faith instead of fear? Start by seeking the Lord today. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Oswald Chambers says it this way. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I think what God is showing us this morning and throughout this series is this. When we live our life with a conviction about God and a conviction about his word and a commitment to him, we don't have to give in to fear. Instead, we can walk and we can live every single day by faith. That brings up a question that I wanna ask you today. And I want you to really examine this in your life, not only today, but every week over the next several as we go through a portion of the book of Daniel. And that is this question. Are you really living by faith? Are you really living by faith? Now I realize that the average Christian will answer that question. Well, of course I am. I believed in Jesus at this time and this date and this moment and I was saved. So yes, I'm a person of faith, but that's not what I'm asking you. Now to be clear, your Christian life begins the very moment you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and you confess him to be the Lord of your life and you, at that moment you are saved and you begin this life of faith. But that is not a guarantee that in 2021, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political uncertainty, in the midst of all the chaos in the world, that today you're living by faith. 
Living by faith is not automatic. God has a calling for us in that. So in Daniel chapter one, we begin to see how to live with fearless faith. And we begin this morning in Daniel chapter one with a simple application, and that is this. If we're gonna demonstrate fearless faith, we must be fearless in our convictions. Fearless in our convictions. Daniel chapter one, if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? The Bible says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence and every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration for the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the official assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to, Meshach, uh, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Key verse of the whole chapter, verse eight. But Daniel made up his mind. Can you say that phrase, made up his mind? Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for just 10 days. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter, sounds like me, than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Keep your Bibles open. We'll pick up the story in just a moment. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we have together today. We thank you right now for the freedom that we have to gather in this place. God, I pray right now that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and lives. God, you have a message for us to hear and you have a message for us to respond to. May we respond in faith, repentance, and obedience. We pray it all be for the name and glory of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated this morning. Fearless in convictions. For some of us here today, this may be the first time ever that we've heard a sermon out of this Old Testament book by the name of Daniel. Or maybe it's your first time in a long time hearing a sermon from this book. Fact of the matter is, this little letter, this book was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And so it might be easy to look at this old book that maybe you haven't read in a long time or maybe you've never heard of before and kind of wonder, how does this apply to our life? But the fact of the matter is, the culture in which Daniel was brought to live is not very different than the culture in which we live today. And frankly, the calling of God for us today is very similar to what God was calling of Daniel in Daniel chapter one. Picture the scene for just a moment. Daniel and his three buddies and a large group of people lived in the city of Jerusalem. They lived there in the region of Judah. This was God's chosen people. They were living in a time of great prosperity. In fact, for nearly a decade, they had experienced nothing but, but joy and celebration and great luxury. But there was a problem in that. In the midst of their luxury, the people had largely begun to compromise. They were not living for God. They were not living to honor God. They were living for their own pleasures. They were living for their own pursuits. They'd begun to give in to various pressures of the temptations of the worlds around them. But there was a challenge with that. 
For years, God had raised up prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Habakkuk, over and over again to call the people to repent. Repent, they would say, or judgment is coming. But God's people living in a time of great luxury just determined, you know what? We're God's chosen people. God would never judge us. We're God's chosen people. He would never allow consequence. We're God's chosen people. What could possibly happen to us? But the Bible tells us that in that day, God's judgment came. God allowed a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to lead a pagan army of people who completely defied God, wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel to come to the scene. They were known as the Babylonians. And on this particular occasion, the Bible tells us that the Babylonians, they sieged Jerusalem. They overthrew the temple, completely destroying it. They began to demolish everything around it. And here's what they did. They took the choice children in the land. They found the Daniel, the Hananiah, the Azariah. They found Mishael. They found these noble children that were basically teenagers between the ages of 15 and 16, and they hauled them off to the land of Babylon. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's means of conquering was through compromise. The plan was to take the best of the land back to Babylon, teach them new ideas, new philosophies, new language, new beliefs, new structures, new pressures, and then three years later, send them back to Jerusalem to compromise and ultimately conquer the land in that way. In other words, it was a very clever agenda. But it's in that moment, as we focus on the actions of what God would do in and through Daniel and his buddies, that I believe God wants us to understand his calling to live fearless and to live fearless in our convictions. From Daniel chapter one, I want us to see four things this morning. If you're ready to learn, would you say, all right. Here we go, number one. If we're gonna be fearless in our convictions, we must understand first the reason for convictions. The reason for convictions. Can you picture the scene with me for just a moment? Here is Daniel and his three buddies, 15 and 16 years old. They have lived in a land, even though it's been filled with compromise, it's been a good land. They've enjoyed a lot of freedoms. They've enjoyed the teaching of their parents, the teaching of the law, the teaching of the temple that's been around them. They've enjoyed many wonderful things. Can you imagine God's people waking up all of a sudden one morning to find that your city is completely being overrun by the enemy? Could you imagine waking up one morning suddenly to find that the enemy, this pagan army, has literally taken the best of your young people and they're hauling them off like slaves? Could you envision the scene? Can you imagine in 605 BC as these 15 and 16 year olds are brought into a place where they can't dream about college? They're brought to a place where they can't look forward to summer camp. They're not thinking about that athletic opportunity. No, they're taken away from anything they were familiar with and everything they loved. And they're brought in this moment to a pagan land. Please understand this was not an easy situation for them. This would be a great moment of trial as these 15 and 16 year olds are in this moment where everything around them is completely foreign. But I'm reminded in this moment that it is often in the difficult moments of life when we find what is truly real in our hearts and lives. It's often in these difficult moments of our life where we find not only what we're made of, but where frankly we begin to realize what really is important in our life. The fact of the matter is we can say we love God, but do we live it out when we face the trials? We can say we trust God, that we believe in him, but do we live it out when we face the trials of life, when things don't go our way, when we get the bad news of the bad health report, whenever things don't go the way that we think they should in the context of the world, do we truly believe God and live by faith in? Please understand what Nebuchadnezzar was doing was simply this. Nebuchadnezzar took the choice of these Hebrew boys, he took them back to Babylon, to Babylonian University. That's what I'm gonna call it, okay? For three years, they're gonna educate them. For three years, they're gonna try to undo every bit of the foundation these boys have been raised up under. For three years, they're gonna dismantle all their current beliefs and try to teach them new beliefs. They're gonna try to defile all their current practices and give them new practices. Please understand what this really is. It's not just Babylon you, it's brainwash you. That's what this is. Their goal is to brainwash these Hebrew boys and then send them back to bring about compromise in the land. And it's here in this moment of great temptation that Daniel and these three boys teach us something about convictions. A conviction is not an opinion. We got lots of opinions today. 
I don't think so. Just turn on social media for a moment. Lots of opinions. Lots of preferences. You got your preferences and I got my preferences. Lots of ideas. But a conviction is defined by the dictionary as a firm and fixed belief. Charles Stanley expounds it a little further. Here's what he says. A conviction is a solid, immovable belief based on confidence in God's word, being so thoroughly convinced of its absolute truth that we are willing to take a stand regardless of the consequences. Now that's a mouthful. Let me summarize it this way. A conviction is a biblical truth that you hold on to at any cost. At any cost. At any cost. That's a big statement, isn't it? What in your life would you hold on to at any cost? What beliefs, what thoughts would you hold on to regardless of what the government said? Regardless of what a president said? Regardless of what your boss said? Regardless of what the principal said? What beliefs would you hold on to regardless of the cost? The Bible tells us something interesting in verse three that really tells us the basis for their convictions. Where did these four boys get their convictions? The Bible tells in verse three this very simple statement. They were sons of Israel. Now that means, just what it sounds like, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they grew up as Israelites. They grew up knowing about and learning about and following the one true God of heaven. To be clear, the Babylonians had many gods. They had many false idols that were made that they bowed to. They had many superstitious stories about the moon God and the sun God and all these different gods. But the Bible says there is only one true living God. And this God describes himself in Exodus chapter three as literally the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. The one true living God of heaven created a covenant relationship with the Jewish people. And in that covenant relationship with them, he gave them various commandments. Many of us call them the 10 commandments. He also gave them instructions of how they're to live and what they were to live by and what they were literally to do in their life. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that these boys, Daniel and his buddies, they grew up learning about the true God of heaven. They grew up learning about his word, learning the law, learning the instructions, learning how to live, learning what to eat, learning what not to eat along the way. These were not man-made ideas. These are directly from God. God spoke to Moses over 130 times from Exodus to Deuteronomy. The Bible says God spoke to Moses and Moses relayed this to the people of Israel. Daniel and his buddies grew up learning about the word of God. Please understand. The basis for our convictions today, still today, must be the word of God. Well, I get my convictions from science. The Bible would say you're a fool. Well, I get my convictions from popular ideas. The Bible would say you're a fool. Well, I get my convictions from what my teacher taught me. The Bible would say you're a fool. We must get our convictions from the authority of God's word. If you base your convictions upon what you think or feel, God says you're a fool. Proverbs 28 he who trusts in the Lord will prosper, but he who trusts in his own heart is a, what's the word? God said it, not me. Psalms 19, verses seven and eight, here's what the Bible says. It is the law of the Lord that is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Here is Daniel and his buddies in a new land, with new, a new environment, new pressures, a new education, new religion that they're being taught. And still along the way, they had convictions. Why? Because they knew God and they knew his word. Can I say to us still today, it doesn't matter what land we live in. It doesn't matter what political party's in charge. It doesn't matter what the agenda is in the moment. If you know God, and you know his word, you can have true, biblical, God-honoring convictions in, our, in, our, in your life. So today we must get in God's word. We must know what he has spoken. We must determine what he has said. And we must stand for some things and stand against some things. The reason for convictions is this. It must be based on the authority of God's word. Secondly, the reason for convictions is clear. They knew God and his word. But secondly, I want you to see the resolve to live by convictions. Many of us today have been in church for a while, or maybe you grew up in Sunday school. Maybe you've been here at Crosslink for forever. I don't know. 
But we know various biblical principles. Even growing up in what has largely been a Christian nation, we, we've learned certain things biblically to be true. But here's the question for us. Do we have true biblical convictions? And secondly, have we resolved to live by those convictions? I love what the scripture says in verses five through eight because the Bible begins to paint a picture for us of Daniel and his buddies who had this absolute determination, clear resolve that no matter where they were or what they were doing, they were going to honor God and live by their convictions. Please understand that the resolve to live by convictions is not merely to prevent failure and stumbling along the way, but the resolve is ultimately this, we want to honor God and please him. If your convictions are based upon the fact, well, I don't want to get caught, I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to have some consequence in my life, that's not a conviction, that's you living out of constraint. Fact of the matter is, I grew up in a Christian home. For most of my life, I grew up in a Christian school. The vast majority of us, when we left home, we went off to various colleges and maybe some to the military and various things. And there are some of us today still living for the Lord, but there are many who aren't. And the difference between those two groups is simply this. There were some who for years lived by constraint. If I get caught, this is what's gonna happen. If I get caught, mama's gonna say this. If I get caught, this is what my pastor's gonna do. If I get caught, my principal's gonna say this. But there are others of us who live by conviction. So in this moment, here's Daniel and his three buddies. They're brought to a new land and their desire above anything and everything. It's not to, do, not to resist things from getting caught, but it's ultimately to honor God and please him. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This is our ambition. We wanna be pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. In other words, if our desire is truly to love God and please him, then we will live by convictions no matter where we are, no matter who we're with, and no matter who is no longer there. Picture the scene for just a moment. And let me ask you the question, what would you do? 15 and 16 year old boys taken away from home, don't have mama's comfort, don't have daddy's rules, new kingdom, new land, new opportunities, new temptations, new freedoms. Have at it, boys, do whatever you want. What would you do? The text says in verse eight that Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. In other words, in this moment of temptation, Daniel didn't have to make a split second decision. You know why? He had already decided I know what's pleasing to God and I know what's not pleasing to God. And so I'm gonna honor God. I'm not gonna defile myself. I'm gonna be faithful to God no matter what comes the way. It tells me two particular things about resolving to live our commitments. Number one, we can overcome the demands of the ungodly. We can, not in our own strength, but by God's strength and through his word in our life, we can overcome the demands of the ungodly. Picture the scene. Daniel and his friends are in a new life, a new world, where they're being taught all sorts of new ideas, new beliefs. They're taught all about the culture, all about the literature, all about the history, all about the false gods. Well, that's definitely a demand. Why? Because they're trying to change the belief system and structure of these Hebrew boys. But not only that, listen to the demand of the ungodly. They even change their names. They change their names. Now, that might sound insignificant to us. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. They just gave them Babylonian names. But please understand, the names they gave these four Hebrew boys were the direct opposite name of what their biblical name was. For example, the name Daniel means God is my judge. Jehovah, the one true God, Yahweh, he is my judge. But they intentionally changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means Baal, protect my life. Think of that for a moment. They literally went from giving him a name that, that honored God, the living God, to now a name that decreed a prayer to a false God by the name of Baal. Gave him a new name, new belief system, new ideas, new structure. But these were things that the boys had absolutely no control over. And in the midst of all of that demand of the ungodly, here comes another demand. The king issues what their diet is supposed to be. 
He issues a portion of the king's meat and of the wine. When the Bible uses the word rations here, it's not saying it was a small amount. It's literally saying the king said, give them all this and let them eat up. That's the idea here. This is like Babylonian wood grill buffet, okay? Now to be clear, I, I love me some wood grill, all right? But there's an issue at hand for these boys. And, and it's not a chocolate fountain, it's a fountain of wine. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's message is this, boys, eat up. I want you to eat, drink, and be merry. I don't want you to remember where all this surplus came from. I want you to know where all this, you're 15 and 16, you do whatever you wanna do, have at it, boys. What would you do in that moment? Fact of the matter is, the ungodly, the pagan king, who knows nothing about the living God of Israel, who's not worshiping him in any shape or form, he is placing demands upon these Hebrew boys. And it's at this moment that the Hebrew boys know something. They didn't have any control over what they were called. They didn't have any control over the land in which they lived. They didn't have any control over the pressures that were around them. But here's what they did have control. They had control of whether or not they were going to compromise on their convictions or not. So they draw a line in the sand, why? Because according to the Jews in Leviticus, 11, verse 11, Leviticus chapter 11 and chapter 17, God gives very specific rules about their diet, what they were to eat and what they weren't to eat. Many people question, well, why is the diet so important for the Jews in Leviticus 11 and 17? It was simply for this reason. God wanted his people to be separated. He wanted them to be distinct. He wanted them to be different than the world around them. Interesting thought, right? So God gives all these guidelines. So when these guys hear this, you gotta eat this meat. You gotta eat this unclean meat. You gotta eat this meat that's been offered to idols. I mean, like the red, the red flag is going off. The bells are chiming. No, 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 no. This would defile your convictions. This is opposite. It's opposed to what God has spoken. Oh, and by the way, here's wine, guys. As much as you want, let it flow. You can get drunk. It's not that big of a deal. And in that moment, there's a conviction that sets in. I'll not defile myself with it. The demands of the ungodly came, but because their desire was to honor God, they were able to resist it and overcome it. Can I remind you this morning, we may not have the type of demand that comes issued from a Nebuchadnezzar per se, but the demands of the ungodly are still the same in our own lives. You, you turn on the television, turn on the news, flip through the stations, frankly, all, and listen, all the images and innuendos and the temptations and the demands regarding sexuality are unbelievable in our culture today. I mean, it used to be when I was a kid, there was, there was preaching specifically about immorality and sex outside of the context of marriage and what, how God used that. But today we've gone so far from that that literally any kind of sexuality, it's open, it's all fair game. You don't like being a man, that's okay, you can be a woman. You don't like being a woman, that's okay, you can be a man. Doesn't matter, Eve or Steve will go with it. Your truth is your truth, but your truth may not be the truth because God is the source of absolute truth. His word is final. And every single one of us one day will stand before God and give an account for those things. And so what God is showing us in this context is, yes, there are demands of the ungodly around us, but by God's grace and for his glory through his word in our life, we can resist and overcome that. Secondly, we can not only overcome the demands of the ungodly, we can overcome, hello, the pressures of the crowd. Picture the scene. Nebuchadnezzar has given a full Babylonian buffet. Have all the wine you want, boys. And, and we don't know how many people are there, but you get the picture that it's a larger group of Hebrew boys. We only, the, we only know the names of four. Why do we only know the names of four? It's not because there were only four people there. It's because only four went against the flow. Only four didn't cave into the pressures around them. Now, we don't read that they were enticing Daniel or pressuring them, but anytime you stand out in a crowd, there's a sense of pressure that's there. Anytime you look differently, act differently, speak differently, there's a sense of pressure that's there. Nebuchadnezzar offers all the unclean meat that's been offered to idols. He offers the fountain of wine and the majority of the Hebrew boys, all except for four, they're like, hey man, when in Rome, do as the Romans. When in Babylon, do as the Babylon. Hey, after all, there's worse things than compromising in this area. There are worse sins in the world than eating meat that I shouldn't eat and drink. Oh, and after all, I mean, I mean really, if God was really against this, he wouldn't have allowed it, right? I mean, I mean, if this was really important to God, God wouldn't have put us in this position. Can, can you imagine all the ways that these Hebrew boys, frankly, justified their actions and sought for ways to allow their compromise? 
but not Daniel and his buddies. They refused to compromise. Why? Because they understood that when it comes to living for God and for your convictions, there is no such thing as a little compromise. That pressure comes to all of us. I remember the very first time in my life, I remember sensing that pressure in a real way. And frankly, what I'm about to say to you, it sounds so trivial compared to what Daniel and his buddies were experiencing in that moment, okay? I mean, this is so intense that even when they request permission from the official, the official says, listen, man, this could cost me my head. This could cost you your life. What I'm about to say sounds so trivial compared to this, but I remember being 14 years old. I remember playing baseball and I remember getting ready for a baseball game on a Saturday morning after some of the guys on our team were a little bit older and they were talking about their Friday night activities. And I remember warming up, throwing the baseball and my buddy next to me talking about him and his girlfriend and the night before, and I remember blurting out to him, not me, man, I plan to be a virgin when I get married. You would have thought I cussed his mama. I'm just telling you. The things that he said, the way that the entire team ended up getting involved in response, I remember the pressure for the first time at 14 years old in that moment. I remember being 15 years old and being at a specific lake house. And I remember a guy breaking out the bottle of vodka and I remember it going around the circle and I remember it coming to me. And I remember the pressure of that moment to, to do that. I remember many of those situations getting myself in unwise circumstances that, that weren't good for me. And I remember the pressure, but I wanna remind you, that those pressures don't end when you cease being a teenager. They don't. You become an adult, those pressures continue. Are you gonna lie about this on your taxes? How are you gonna handle that business decision? Well, what are you gonna do when that link comes through on the internet and you know you shouldn't click on it? That pressure is all around us. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, these simple words, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The world for every single one of us who, who call upon the name of Jesus, the world constantly is trying to conform us and God is wanting us to do is he's wanting to transform us by the renewing of our mind. From the inside out, he's wanting to transform us. Daniel and his buddies, they were willing to surrender to God and God not only transformed them, but as we'll see in the coming chapters, and I don't wanna spoil the end, God would work through them to transform the environment around them as well. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see the respect shown through our convictions the respect shown through our convictions. There are likely many of you right now that are like, man, this is, I needed to hear this message. This is good. Like I, I'm right here with you. Yes, we gotta know what our convictions are. We gotta stand on our convictions. But I'm just gonna tell you frankly that this point might make some of you mad. And if it's the Holy Spirit that makes you mad, I say to God be the glory. Because there's something to me that stands out in this passage that is so powerful and frankly, so moving when you consider the climate and culture in which we live today. The respect shown through our convictions. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, please understand, we often get caught up in this idea that it's a war that's taking place in the sense of it's me against Babylon per se, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't against Babylon, they were for God. They understood that they answered more than anything to a king, and that king's name was Jesus, Jehovah. They understood this moment that in this situation, they had to stand for God, but I want you to see the respect they showed and how they did that. They didn't uh, boast about their convictions. They didn't preach their convictions as if they were better than anybody else. They didn't even condemn the king that they disagreed with. No, they acted respectfully. Were the Babylonians wrong for all these agendas? Yes. Were they completely going against God's will for these boys? Yes. But the Babylonians didn't know God, so why should they be expected to do anything differently? Daniel in this moment didn't get mad or angry. Daniel didn't blow up. He didn't blame the government. He didn't condemn the king. He didn't start a riot. He didn't form a militia or anything else combative. He clearly didn't agree with what was going on, but he clearly stood by his convictions. 
But even standing by his convictions didn't give him the right to take matters into his own hands. What was he doing? He's living by faith. What does that look like? A few things. First, he honored those in authority. If we're gonna be respectful in our convictions, we would be wise to honor those in authority. Notice what the scripture says. He made up his mind. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he started a riot. No. So he went and said, you good for nothing official. No. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. You know what he's doing? He's acting like a man of God should act. Even of an official that he doesn't understand even of one that he doesn't agree with, even a military leader that is against his convictions, he still in this moment acts with great respect. Daniel knew that the commander in this army was in a difficult position. And so he comes and he acts, even though he knows this could cost him his life, even though if he gives into this request, it could cost the official his life, he still acted in a respectful, wise and gentle way. And I believe this is the approach that we should strive to take when we disagree with those in authority. Listen to these verses, Romans 12 verse 18. Listen to the context of these verses, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at, what's the next word? Peace with how many men? With all men, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good, in that same context, the next verse, Romans 13, one, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by who? God. Well, I don't like that, that's out of context. Go read Titus three this week. Read Titus three and tell me about that context and tell me exactly what God says in that. Well, I don't like that. Well, go read first Peter chapter two and tell me again about that context. What you will find is that time and time again, does this mean we're gonna agree with everything that the government officials say? No. Does this mean that they will always do the right thing? No. Does this mean that evil doesn't exist in the world? No. But it does mean that we have a calling as children of God to respect those that God allows in leadership. To be clear, there are times that man decrees things that goes against God's will and goes against God's word and goes against God's law. And when those things happen, we must obey God rather than man. But even in those cases, we must do so in a respectful and peaceful manner. One of the concerns that I have in our culture in the moment, amongst many, is that even those who profess the name of Christ are more convinced that they should try to be right and stick it to the man than they are that they should be Christ-like and be the witness God's called us to be. Every time in scripture, you find someone hearing a decree that goes against God's word, you hear them obeying God rather than man, but doing so in a respectful way. For example, Exodus chapter one, the Hebrew midwives were literally commanded to kill Hebrew children. But they didn't, why? Because they obeyed God. But they obeyed God and they did so in a respectful way to their leaders. Acts chapter four, the apostles are told you can no longer preach about Jesus. And they say, how can we not but speak the things that we've seen? And how can we not but tell people about Jesus? But you go back and read Acts chapter four and here's what you find. You find that they obeyed God rather than man, but they did so in a respectful way. First Peter chapter two, by the way, Jesus himself, who's being pressured and being accused and being uh, spoken ill of, here's what he did. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What are you saying? I'm saying that he stood upon his conviction and at the same time, he did so in a respectful and humble way. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. This is an incredible quote. Listen to this statement. Throughout scripture, you will find courageous people who had to defy authority in order to obey God. But in every case, they took the wise and gentle approach. All of them had to resist the law in order to obey the Lord and God gave them success. They were courteous and didn't try to get others into trouble. They had a meek and quiet spirit. They saw the challenge as an opportunity to prove God and glorify his name. What else, what else must, must we do if we're going to respectfully live out our convictions? Secondly, we've got a hope in the Lord. Yes, we show respect for those in authority, 
But please make no mistake about it. Sometimes people, oh, well, Daniel's compromising here. Doesn't Daniel know that the God Jehovah, he's the one that called him. He could stand up and demand something. That's not what he does. Daniel acts respectfully, just like God would have him to act. But please understand, this is not him bowing to the government. This is not him worshiping a false God. Did you know that by the time we get to the end of Daniel, we find that God literally calls him his beloved servant? Isn't it interesting that God would call Daniel beloved, the same word he would use to describe his own son, Jesus? This is not Daniel bowing down. This is Daniel, frankly, having a Christ-like spirit, countenance and actions. What's he doing? He goes to the official, he doesn't demand. He doesn't act by force, he acts by faith. He doesn't act by condemning man, he acts by placing his confidence in God. Hey, 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 Mr. Official, I know you've been given your orders by the king. I, I know he's telling us we gotta eat all this meat, drink all this wine, but I, I, I can't do this. This is against my faith, this is against my convictions. So would you allow us a different diet? No, man, I can't do that. I, my head could roll for this. I can't allow you to do that because if the king sees you and you're like looking haggard and looking sleepy and looking at all these other things, like the king's gonna have my head, I'm gonna be over, it's it. I'll tell you what, how about you give us this test for 10 days? Just 10 days. There's nothing really significant about the 10 days. How about for the next 10 days, we just eat vegetables and water. And then after 10 days, you come and examine us and see what we look like, how we are. Please, please understand this is not a message about being a vegetarian, all right? Though a vegetable diet for 10 days would probably help me some, right? I mean, that's not what this is about. This is about Daniel saying, listen, I have a biblical conviction. I have a God-given conviction about this. So would you give us 10 days? Daniel had no reason to think that God was going to intervene necessarily. He had no reason to think that this would somehow work out in an amazing way. But here's his conviction. His conviction is this, I want to honor God. And so even if I only have 10 more days to live and then I'm killed, even if I only have 10 more days, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna honor God for these 10 days. By the way, none of us know how many more days we have to live. <laughs> this is not a scary statement. I'm just telling you a blunt, honest statement. In the past 30 days, I cannot even count the number of people that I've known that have passed away below the age of 40. In completely bizarre situations. That's not a scary statement. It is just a fact, honest truth. I don't know how long I have, but even if I only have 10 more days, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna live by my conviction. I'm gonna honor God and I'm gonna trust him with the results. See, in this moment, what Daniel's doing is in his living by convictions, he's basically surrendering himself to God and to his word and to his will, and he's letting the chips fall where they may. You know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, is Crosslink becoming woke? All this culture and all this everything. You know what Crosslink is? Crosslink is still standing upon the authority of God's holy word, and we're gonna continue to. I, I don't, I don't, somebody said, well, what does that mean for you? I don't know. Does that mean I'm eventually gonna be arrested? Maybe. Does that mean we're eventually gonna have the plug pulled and we can't be online or be, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be faithful to preach God's word and trust him with the results. That's what we're gonna do. Daniel's in this moment where he's basically saying, listen, my hope is in the Lord. And so God showed his favor. What's he doing? He's living by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Final thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the result of living by godly convictions. Daniel does not know how this is going to end. He just knows he's got to honor God. It's the number one desire. Look with me at verse 17 and following. Now, the overseer comes and inspects after 10 days and he sees that Daniel and his buddies are healthier, the word actually says fatter. That means it's God's will for us to be fat. That's what it means, okay? Like, you can be okay with that. For those of you eating granola and trying to eat healthy and stuff, like you're out of God's will, that's what it means. I mean, I'm okay. The guy shows up and Daniel and his buddies are healthier than the other guys. I, I don't know how much these other guys are eating. I don't know if they're just plastered or what. But when they look at Daniel and his buddies, 
they are in better shape than all the other guys. But notice what happens next. Nebuchadnezzar the king comes to inspect in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. That's gonna come in handy later, we'll find out. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, listen to this statement, and out of them all, not one, not a single one in this whole group was found to be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. What this means is this. All the experts, all the professionals, all the wisdom, all the teachers, all the philosophers, all of them. The Bible says Nebuchadnezzar looks and realizes Daniel and these three boys were 10 times more advanced than the experts of the field and the experts in all the land. Why? Was it because of their amazing experiences in life? No. Was it because they were so old, they'd learned so much in their year? No, it was for one reason. It was because the God of heaven was in them and working through them to accomplish his purposes for his glory. That's why. Don't you know that day when the king set out all the meat and the fountain of wine that was flowing, all those other Hebrew boys were saying, man, this is awesome. Yeah, but guys, we shouldn't do it. All these guys had the same background, the same teaching, the same law of God. They claimed to worship the same God. And surely somebody spoke up and said, no, guys, we shouldn't do that. Guys, that's, a, that's against it. No, it's not that big of a deal. We're in a new land. Nobody will ever know. It's okay. But apparently it was a big deal to God because God used this trial this testing, this moment of the enemy's temptation, God used their faithfulness in this to promote them out of their current location to place them in the direct service of the king. Frankly, when you get the link that you know you shouldn't click on and that temptation comes, it might like seem like a big deal in the moment. Temptation to compromise something in the context of your business. Nobody may ever know, but God knows. When you're on that business trip and you meet someone and there's a cordial glance and conversation picks up quickly, you may think no one will ever know, but God knows. Frankly, you're a teenager and you put yourself in that situation that you know is unwise. You might can hide it from mom and dad. Truth be told, I don't know that my parents ever knew about that vodka bottle going around the circle. They know now. <laughs> but God knows. Pastor Bob Record says it this way. He calls those moments crossroads, and here's what he says. Each crossroads is a test of our character and obedience. Though the choice may in the moment seem insignificant to us, it is God's way of forging our lives for a point of much greater impact farther down the road. Truth be told, by the time you read through the rest of Daniel, you begin to realize that many of us as believers want to have the same kind of impact through our lives that Daniel had. God worked extraordinarily through him for his people's purposes. But the fact of the matter is, you're not likely to experience God working through your life to bring the impact that he brought unless in private, you're first willing to live to honor God and live by convictions. Daniel lived by convictions and we see the reasons why and we see the result. God blessed him, God worked in him and God worked through him in an extraordinary way. Please understand, I am not telling you that when you live by godly convictions, God's gonna give you a really long life. The testimony of Stephen would certainly say otherwise. I'm not saying when you live by godly convictions, God's gonna bless you, you're gonna be a millionaire and life's gonna be so easy and grand. Just about every person you read of the New Testament would tell you otherwise. But here is, here is what I am saying. When you live your life to honor and please God, 
God will reveal himself to you and work in you and through you in ways that you never dreamed possible. Even should that mean as you stand firm in your faith and stand as a bold witness, even if that means that you would die a martyr's death, you could live your life knowing that your life mattered for eternity, that you pleased God, and that God works in extraordinary ways through people who surrender their life to him. My hope and prayer for us today is that we too will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We would be surrendered to the Lord and we would trust God to work in and through our lives. Warren Wiersbe says it this way and I'll close. I like Warren Wiersbe. Each believer is either a conformer or a transformer. We're either being squeezed into the world's mold or we're transforming things in the world into which God has put us. Transformers don't always have an easy life, but it's an exciting one. And it gives us great delight to know that God is using us to influence others. Are you really living by faith? And are you being fearless in your convictions? Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts and lives, that you would mold us, shape us, and transform us for your glory and purposes. Have your way right now. I pray, God, that we would not just hear this message as a means of information, but that we would respond in obedience today. I pray in Jesus' name. Right where you are sitting today, I wanna ask you some questions of examination. I encourage you right now, don't just go through the motions of being in a worship service on a Sunday. Don't just hear the message and think, okay, there's a few points. No, what does God want you to do with what you've heard today? Maybe you're here today and you would just be completely honest to say, Pastor Matt, you talk about living by convictions and maybe you'd just be honest and say, this message is so hard to receive because I have so greatly blown it I've not been living by my convictions. I've been been the person that basically pulled up at the buffet and did whatever I wanted to do. And right now I see the foolishness of it and I realize it was a sin against God and God's convicting me. Today I wanna encourage you, the Bible tells you if you confess your sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. His mercies are new today and you can experience them in your life if you repent of your sins and turn to him. So I don't know how bad you've blown it, but I know that God's grace and his mercy is greater. So this morning, if that would be you, you just be honest about it right where you're at right now, watching online in the CLC, right here in the building, right now in your seat, will you begin praying and would you simply say to God, God, I have sinned against you. What I've been doing has been a sin against you. It's not been pleasing to you. And I see where it's led me. God, I need you to set me free. Would you forgive me? Would you clean me? And would you set me free from this sin in my life? I pray it in Jesus' name right now. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.